0: and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, uh, The Thinking Woman's Todd Blackadder. As always, I am Cami Black. If you're listening, you'll know we're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, most other podcast apps. Uh, you can also listen on the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, we're joined this week by uh, blog alumni turned Rugby World Features Editor, uh, Alan Dimmick. G'day. Uh, And we're also joined by Tweedledee to John Anderson's Tweedledum, uh, regular Glasgow contributor Ian Hay.
1: Hello and happy new season everyone.
0: Yes, um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, drop us an email, podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Please justify me having an email address because nobody ever emails me on it. Um, Twitter at scottrugbyblog or at Black, and we're on Facebook and Instagram too. Um, Alan, you're just back from Connacht, How, how was that?
2: I am just back from Connaught actually, and they're, they're a bit raw still about the uh, the Glasgow win there, the week before. Uh, it was fine, but as I spoke briefly to George Biaggi immediately after the game, and he said the first game he ever played at Connaught was it was like the rain was coming from the ground up. It was <laughs> not it was not a dry day, uh, but you know it was good fun actually. Yeah, uh, you know. For, uh, first time in a long time I've been there, so uh, yeah, I enjoyed visiting that ground. The ground.
0: Um, the sponsored sin bin got a run out as well, didn't it?
2: It did. Uh, in fact, I, I well, you'll have to get the next issue of Rugby World to see, but I, I also made use of that uh, um, sin bin myself.
0: R- rather than the broken chair that Adam Hastings decided to sit on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we First things first, um, are you both fully subscribed to Premier TV?
2: Right. Uh, full disclosure: I, I, I can, I have the ability to watch it, but I haven't seen any of the first two weeks of action on it.
0: That is, that is fine. Um, we can, you can just chip in with your general feelings on things. Then, uh, Ian, how how are you finding the coverage?
1: Um, well, I've just got it on the the app. Um, I think the coverage is all right. Uh, you know, some people, to be honest, I didn't uh, have audio on for the uh, first round of the games. I was watching on mute, apart from the Glasgow Connaught game. Uh, where the co-commentator made the annoying mistake of calling Xander Fagerson-Ferguson. Um, but other than that, I think it's been actually pretty decent.
0: Yeah, um, um, that seems to be the overwhelming opinion, which surprised me because normally people are fairly down on new things. Um, there was so, so- yeah, um, there were some grumblings, um, I think, about there being a bit of Irish bias, but people seem to be generally accepting of it. And, and I think it probably comes from the fact that, well, Ember have been away, so you're always going to get the bias when you're playing away so um, yeah it seems to be fairly good start Um, anyway we caught up with uh, Rory Hamilton to uh, find out what we can expect this season Okay, we're joined on the line now by Premier Sports commentator Rory Hamilton Uh, Rory welcome to the podcast
3: yeah thank you very much
0: Um, the first thing we always ask people when they come on the podcast is what club socks they'd wear if they were selected for the Barbarians
3: yeah interesting we see I've been waiting for this one (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I don't know if it doesn't probably doesn't count as club socks, but uh, I guess old school first fifteen socks at uh, at Loman School in Helmsburg. But I think they've now amalgamated with Helmsburgh Rugby Club, so I probably uh, I don't know if, uh, if the old school socks still exist. Um,
0: yeah, I'll have to So I might
3: do a fin and fin and do one of each. Um, yeah, because I also played played a bit for um, St Paul's Old Boys down in London. That's my uh, brother-in-law's team. Uh, so. You know, a couple of times a season go down with them or, or tour with them in the summer. Um, and and uh, so I could do one of those socks and one of the old Roman school ones, I think.
0: Yeah, good choice one each. Like, what what position do you play when you do get out? Uh
3: well, school was very much uh fly half. Um but you know, the, <laughs> the the older that you get and that well actually it, it probably goes against that. Um, because when I've been going down and playing with uh the old St Paul's team you can't really go straight into a team and play 10. So I I, I end up stuck on the wing. And pace was never a massive forte of mine, (laughs) but um, but it's it's usually an older set of boys, so you sort of suddenly become the uh, the quickest man on the park, so you get stuck out on the wing. But it's quite interesting. It's good
0: fun. Good. Um, Now, you're part of the Scotland team for the Premier Sports uh, coverage, Um, and um, you made your debut commentating on Embra v Connacht in 2009. Is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That seems a long, long time ago. I think Edinburgh racked up over 60 points or something like that. Yeah, well, I was um, going
0: to say there was two games that year. When I looked it up, there was two games that year, and I think, was it the sixth? So there's one which was 65 points, and I think most from Chris Patterson by the looks of things.
3: Yeah, yeah. I remember that it was, um, so was STV Rugby, and and uh, I just started working on it. I think we'd done a couple of weeks of the programme. Got our... Um, of feedback from viewers and things like that and everyone was saying well you know you've got irish commentators and welsh commentators on games but where's where's your scottish voice i kind of joked in a in a, in a meeting oh, I, I could do some commentary for you <laughs> and then i was driving down because at that time i was staying up north uh, at my parents house in spayside and was driving down for the weekend of work and uh, the boss sort of said "Ah, oh, you know that, that joke you made at the meeting at the meeting well you're on this Friday night. Got Edinburgh <laughs> on it. So uh that, that was kind of how it all started.
0: Very good. And so how do you normally go about preparing for a match? Yeah, that's a good
3: question actually. Uh, I'm just doing that um right now. Um it, I I I think you I mean I do sort of probably a couple of days of uh just intense sort of statty type things, but a lot of that is actually you you probably don't use very much of it. There's a lot of writing things down on paper, condensing um, wider stats and putting it down on paper. So you've got it if you need it. But to be honest, you probably only use a very small percentage of it, but I find it helps because it gets you in the mindset for that game and exactly what's going on. And I guess, so the rest of the time, you know be it from even once once your game is done, you know you're looking forward to the, the next weekend and, you, and you, you pick up on everything that's that's going on in the league or around certain clubs that you might be doing uh, soon after that so it's, it's just kind of an ongoing thing which is is kind of helpful when you're you're enthusiastic about the, the given sport anyway so you know it just it kind of comes naturally to you
0: yeah and what so when you're actually sort of sat there what what have you got in front of you because i mean famously bill mclaren had his had his big sheet and i've seen different commentators sometimes i'll just have you know the, the the lineups with various notes inside what is it that you use
3: mm-hmm. uh so i i do it probably slightly differently to bill so I, I basically have a page an a4 page on each team and i find it's easiest to write them out in position, so I've kind of got a template of that uh, with the, the forwards sort of dominating and in, in their set formation, and then the backs uh, lined out after that, and then and then it just goes from, you know, age, playing weight, stats for that season, caps, any interesting little facts that you, you've found out on the way, you know, their record against the team that they're playing. Like you say, a lot of the time, you, you don't use a lot of it, but I do find that it uh, it ingrains certain things in your mind and just helps you that you know the number of times that you've then looked at that piece of paper and you know that you know number thirteen that week is Nick Grigg as it is you know this week for for Glasgow Warriors so that's that's how I find it helps and then I usually then have a uh, a page in a book just of general match stats you know what it means all the different permutations what outcomes can affect what, uh, and in that as well that when you can put any scripted bits that, that you need because generally the, the you know the top of the once they throw to the commentators probably that first couple of minutes until kick off is generally scripted as as you uh, go through teams out and and uh, the lineups and so on.
0: So I mean you mentioned Nick Grigg there and the, I think there was you, you someone was asking you on Twitter have you got any plans this weekend, um, as we're recording this to tell to, to tell Nick Grigg and Stuart Hogg apart?
3: <laughs> I was actually I was having a good uh, conversation uh on Twitter about that. It, what do you know what I was uh from the from the first week down the sports ground at Connacht? and I was like oh, do you know what I'm glad I'm not doing this game because I cannot tell them apart. Somebody needs to get one of them wear a wig i think for for friday night against munster yeah Um, because i initially thought that it was Greg that put the chip through for tommy (laughs) seymour because that that's always you know the first couple of minutes of a game is the hardest because you know 20 minutes in you can work all those things out and you can you know if there are people that are maybe looking a bit familiar then you can say all right well i know that you know hoggy's got the Yellow boots on, and whereas Nick Griggs got white boots, you know, it it could be something like that. You you pick up on little things like that, and then the the later on into the game, it becomes second nature to you, and then invariably they get subbed off, and you've got somebody else to recognize. (laughs)
0: Um, And and in terms of um, the sort of the premier sports offering this season, it's quite unique because you've got every game live, Um, so you're going to be working with quite a a wide range of co commentators. Is that is that a challenge, sort of trying to quickly build rapport and, and sort of working relationships?
3: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, um, I, I think it, it's it's a good challenge in that way. Everyone works differently. Um, a lot of these guys have got got really good broadcast experience, or they're new to it, so they can they can bring fresh ideas uh, to the table. So the first first week up uh, down at the Ospreys uh, for the Edinburgh game, I had. Jim Hamilton and Sean Holly, and I mean, they're they're both brilliant broadcasters. They're certainly not afraid to. Well, Jim, especially, you're not afraid to give you an opinion. And Sean as an analyst. I think is is absolutely top drawer. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the team lineup's going to be for uh, for the next one, but it's going to keep changing. And I think that um, that can keep it really fresh for for viewers, not just listening to the the same voices over and over again, and and you know, when there's only two Scottish teams in the league, then you know it, you, you keep everything fresh and, uh, and and mix it up with with different pundits as well. Because I mean, that was what 15 hours of live rugby over the weekend, um, and then plus the highlights and the mid show. So there's there's loads and loads of, of rugby.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask comment. you about, about Sean Holly actually, because he's, he's famous in Wales for, for getting his guitar out at any opportunity. Is that, Are we likely to see that, do you think, during the Premier Sports coverage?
3: <laughs> I'll ask him next time, as long as I don't need to provide any uh, musical background, because then I think everyone will be turning off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you, you've you've commented on um, other sports as well. You've done, I think, a bit of sevens and football most recently. Is, is there anything sort of unique to commentating on rugby?
3: Um, it's interesting. I mean, I guess
0: rugby, I I mean, because
3: I'd say the the majority of my experience before this is, is football. I find rugby slightly different in that when, when the ball's in play, there's, there isn't a lull. where sometimes in, in a football game, you can get, you know, these slower, uh, periods of a game where there's, there's a bit of needless passing, where, where there's not really anything happening. I don't, I don't tend to find that happens in rugby so much. But I guess the flip side of that is, you know, you have scrum time and resets, and there's more injuries and things like that. So you you have to fill that time. I think that's something that um, that helps having you know two vocal co-commentators with you, is that you know when. I, I, I guess my job is to describe the action, and their job is to analyse that. So that really helps having having two guys next to you who can come in and fill and use their expertise on things that that I might not have noticed.
0: Yeah, and and is there, I mean you were at the Liberty Stadium um, weekend just gone again as we we're recording this. Um, is is there any sort of stadiums outside of Scotland that you're really looking forward to going to?
3: Oh, good question. I'd love to have gone down to the sports ground actually um for the Glasgow game there uh, I think the majority of the games that I do will probably be the Scottsdale and Murrayfield based games um in the new Kingspans looking pretty good. That's always a really good atmosphere there in Tolman park yeah i mean it's, it's it's uh it's it's a it's a really good league for that there's different atmospheres all over. And if uh, if they want to send me down to South Africa to do a game, I'm more than willing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to ask you to choose between Murrayfield and Scottston because um, yeah, we, <laughs> we get accused of bias enough on the podcast by both sides. I should add, which I think means we're doing it right anyway. Um, the the last thing um, before you go, we we anybody that's coming on the podcast this this uh, this season, we're asking them a random question. So, do you want to choose a number between one and a hundred?
3: Okay, we'll go for uh, seven
0: seven okay uh who would win in a fight between 100 tigers and 100 lions
3: uh tigers yeah 100 tigers all the
0: way good well uh that's been great i'm not not even a leicester fan no (laughs) (laughs) well well, thanks very much for joining us rory and uh wish you the best for the season we might catch up again soon
3: great thanks a lot cammy
0: right um that was uh rory hamilton from premier tv um Right, we'll start. You said you haven't seen much, um, Alan, of the uh, first couple of weeks of Pro 14 action.
2: Oh, no, I, I have seen stuff. I, I've seen bits and pieces, but I haven't really sat down and watched uh, Premier Sports specifically. Right, but, but I, I did make sure that I've checked out uh, Glasgow's win against Connaught because I don't know. It's one of these things. Connaught, certainly, you know, I always keep an eye out to see how they're doing. Uh, because I don't know why, why there is, there's just that thing in the back of your head that goes, oh, I wonder how they're getting on. And to be fair, Glasgow pulled it out of the fire um, uh, in that first round. And at the weekend, it was a it was a sign of, I'm going to use one of these horrible words, but stick-to-itiveness, I think Americans <laughs> would say. that ability to just keep cracking on, which is, you wouldn't always associate. And in fact, one question I'm going to ask you guys is, do you think Stuart Hogg kicking is gonna become kicking points is gonna become one of the real themes of this season?
0: Ian, what's your you, you were you at Scottston this weekend?
1: Yes I was, yeah, I was there on Friday. Um saw Pete Horn having a, another shocker off the <laughs> tee. Um I think I mean Hastings is a good goal kicker as well. Uh Hogg usually usually's just been left to the, the Hail Mary efforts. Um but you know, obviously Horn was having one of his one of his off nights, so Hogg took over. I, I think maybe we'll see Hastings develop into that role um, once they give him a bit more responsibility. But uh, you know, Hogs, I mean, he slotted. I think all of his pen, uh, all of his attempts on Friday night. So he's he seems to have improved his accuracy. It's
2: one of those things because Hogs, the, the best thing about him, he's not he's not backwards about coming forwards, and that's always. I mean, that's the reason why he's on the scene so soon uh, in his rugby career, but. You know, the ability to take drop goals, he's never going to say no. If someone says, you fancy a goal, he's never going to say no. And I just think it's one of these things that might keep cropping up again and again. I'm not saying that he's trying to add to his highlight reel in contract year, but um, who knows what happens with that. And with Adam Hastings laying on two assists at the weekend, at least, you know, there's a lot of promise.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting you say Stuart Hogg in a contract year cause it was something I was going to touch on. There was, a, I think, Jamie Lyle tweeted out a, a sort of a comment from a BBC article with Dave Rowney seeming pretty hopeful that Stuart Hogg's going to stay. And thinking about, I mean, it, for all he could go for a big money offer elsewhere, thinking about it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, there's there's no evidence that it's going to prohibit him from another Lions tour. You've got, you know, Ireland's top players playing in the Pro 14 for Leinster. He gets regular European Rugby+. plus. He's not going to be running to the ground like he would be in the English Premiership and in France. So if he wants a long career, I mean he's not paying you know, he's not being paid pennies at Glasgow. So if he wants to, you know, have a longer career, then staying in Scotland isn't necessarily a daft choice.
2: Well, I'd say that it's September. We're two games into the new season. So as much as people might want to begin talking about this Stuart Hogg's personal history with contract negotiations <laughs> <and interviews laughs> and clubs. I don't think there's going to be anyone adding anyone from his side adding to the conversation for quite some time yeah uh, with that
0: one the the only uh, I think someone threw out on Twitter tonight the uh, the loosest forward I think it was on Twitter throwing out that Stuart Hogg's love of hoke uh, might might be the only thing that plays into this where but but as I pointed out, that could mean a move to the Falcons because you can easily commute from Newcastle to hoke
2: absolutely
0: yeah easily done and he's not moving to south of France with his his skin tone um, uh, Ian Glasgow then you, you, you were worried over the summer that they hadn't recruited well he's, I mean it's hard to tell from the first two games of the season but are those fears partly allayed
1: um, well like you said it's it's a bit early to tell uh, one thing I have noticed well I mean Oli um he's basically like a new signing because he had so little action last year with his injuries um but the set pieces have looked very good. Um the Scrum, uh we have we've, we've dominated both Connor and Munster in the Scrums. Uh, the mall has been working pretty well too. Um fair enough, the Munster team that was put out wasn't the strongest, but uh, you know, they their whole club culture if you like is sort of based on a power game. Uh, and we've we got the better of them. Um so yeah, slightly allayed. Uh we'll uh, we'll see how it goes.
0: I suppose, see how it goes in the international window.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was, that's why I found the signing of Nick Frisby so weird, because it's not like we're, we're short of scrum halves, and it's unlikely that Horn and Price would be playing for Scotland over the international uh, weekend. You know, you'd, you'd expect Laidlaw to be in there. Um, so I thought it was a bit of an odd, odd signing when there's other areas that could have been uh, improved, but, you know, two wins from two so far, can't complain.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um...
1: Sorry, uh, it's interesting that point Ian's made there
2: about the, the set-piece because Rennie was very bullish about that after the match, wasn't he? He uh, he made a point of saying people have written off Glasgow's set-piece, um, but look at how well they've gone, and he, uh, he did as Ian's just done there, pinpoint the the, the mole and the, the scrum to say, look what they've done. I'm interested to see how Kevill goes throughout the season because he is really an unknown quantity for a lot of people. Um, but bloody hell, Callum Gibbons I mean, the way he plays off that back row, it allows players like Adam Ash to rediscover his form of a couple of years ago, which is another really exciting thing off the back of a scrum.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really good to see. sort because of, he's sort of, he's been unlucky with injuries, I think, and then um, various other bits and bobs, Adam Ash. So it's, I mean, I don't know if it's just the power of having his own podcast now uh, that's seeing <laughs> him on. Um Liable. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I I was surprised to think about how much Glasgow have been bullied in the past given uh, the revelation on the Glasgow Warriors podcast about how much McDonald's those boys put away um, <laughs> there was I think some sort of allegation that Josh Strauss I think had taken um, someone to McDonald's and ordered like five cheeseburgers, two Big Macs and a load of chicken wings and then asked what Jack that was with him wanted to eat himself so yeah um,
1: uh, That's
0: we, good
1: we, one I know <laughs> They don't uh, say Darcy Ray was the kind of king of McDonald's as well. Yeah. Um, I think he, was, he he could put a fair
0: bit away. Edinburgh then. Um it's I mean it's it's again it's early it's early early doors. There's a lot of people getting excited posting league tables um two weeks into the um into the season. But but Embra, I mean it, it doesn't there's two losses away from home is it's not any reason to panic. There seems to be a lot of good signs there.
2: Yeah um well Again, I'd like to point to the, the words of the coach after the game. Uh, I, I just find it funny that Cockrell used the word "crikey." He said, <laughs> we've played some good rugby. If we can play at this level, especially away from home, we're going to cause teams problems." And you know what? They have caused teams problems. They'll be kicking themselves a little bit to let that Ulster, you know, to let that lead against Ulster go because mm. we're well ahead, um, but. I suppose it's a lesson learned. It's another bonus point away from home. And there's just something, you know, Cockrell keeps touching on it uh, to the extent where it's going to worm its way into our consciousness anyway, but actually it's bearing out so far in that they are growing a bit of respect. They are getting a bit of a growing reputation uh, for people. You know, it's that toughness, that greatness that we expected, but actually it's just, it's just fans of Edinburgh will be glad to see it playing out. Um, the thing for me that I enjoy seeing actually is whenever you look at them is it's great to see players like Tom Brown and James Johnson get a go. I mean, James Johnson, I'm always going to have a soft spot for anyone that comes through the Scotland Sands programme because I've written for a number of years about how abandoned that's been. And actually when it's treated properly and when you treat players coming through it the right way, they can pay you back. Um, so it's good to see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that it's, it's only the second season, isn't it, under Cockrell, And he's been very careful to caveat Embrace progress last season. Was saying, we're saying we're not as good as we appeared on paper or, or, or as good as we performed. It was interesting, I thought, how compared to his reaction after um, the Ospreys game, he seemed a lot more calmer after Ulster. And I was surprised at that because I thought that the fact they'd thrown away the lead might have you know, resulted in Shoutley Cockers. And I can't decide whether or not, a calm Richard Cockrell is more scary than an angry Richard Cockrell.
2: <laughs> Calculated Richard Cockrell, yeah, I'd be worried about that.
0: Yeah, the danger. You don't.
2: It's that, that whole Cape Fear thing about it, isn't it? A calm <laughs> Richard Cockrell's got time to plot how he's going to find you.
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's it's a fascinating thing with Ember because it's he he started with a blank canvas and it's not often you see that with a team where where a coach comes in and is just basically this is this the, the, there is there is a, a club here that exists. Sort of in name only, almost. It's lost its way, and he. I. It's not. It's hard to think of many other examples in sport where one man can come in and just say, "This is what this club is going to be," and and sort of define it in that way. I mean, I suppose you could say Pep Guardiola, but he had sort of already had sort of associations with Barcelona historically. I'm not comparing <laughs> him to Pep Guardiola. But...
2: Exactly what you've just done.
0: <laughs> I'm not saying that Richard Cockrell is Jesus, but. Um, but no, it's interesting. It's not often you see that in sport, that somebody coming in who isn't previously associated with the club and just having carte blanche to sort of shape it as they want to.
1: Yeah, like a sort of autour vision. Yeah. And you, and you know it can pay
2: dividends because you saw what, oh, I mean, going back to them, I've already spoken about them a lot recently, but I mean, Pat Lamb at Connacht gave you the blueprint for that, didn't he? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, The one thing that was interesting about the um, Ulster game, and I'd be interested in particularly your view, Alan, on this is the uh, Mark Bennett injury. There was a lot of talk on Twitter about it being a dangerous clear out, although Richard Cockrell, I think, came out today and said he thought it was fine. It's this, the crock roll.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, if you ever want to talk to anyone on Twitter about uh, crock roll, uh, you can speak to rugby Roll columnist Ben Ryan about it because this is a particular bugbear of his um interestingly actually if you read the next issue of Rugby world uh, our other our other our only other guaranteed regular columnist the secret player gives his view on the croc roll as well and i can tell you that both aren't really favorable of it but it's one of these things that i remember i remember being in the caledonia rugby academy which tells you how far back this was <laughs> uh, because i'm 31 years of age now so we're talking black and white um Uh, a group of teenagers with judo experts learning how to do the crock roll and I think back to that now and go wow I'm surprised so few knees didn't get popped doing something you know learning how to do that not being experts I I had to do this potentially dangerous technique but actually just kids mucking about with it it's like so few injuries but the crock rolls you know there's going to be this whole thing we're always going to talk about you know what do you dampen down about the game but a lot, I've heard of quite a few people talk about the prevalence of hamstring injuries. Um, it's something that I, I think actually you might see a few articles, speaking to colleagues in the press, I think you might see a few articles about this coming up uh, over, the net, over the coming weeks and months, about the way that rugby has changed, where actually hamstrings coming off the bone is going to be an injury that people are going to be talking about a bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, what, what, what's your take on this? Because the, the, I think Sam Warburton last week was sort of, Tweeting about there be should be more protection in the the ruck for the for the jackler.
2: Well, I've I've written for a few years now about the fact that at the moment the guaranteed way, the only way that you can hurt and you can get rid of a jackler and it's and for it to not get the whistle blown on you is you do the crock roll, which again people have lots and lots of issues with or you absolutely line someone up and you launch yourself at them. So I don't know if you saw it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Charlie Morgan, uh, does a lot of stuff for the Telegraph where he'll do analysis and stuff. And he put up a really interesting gif from uh, a test match. Uh, I think it was the Bledisloe game where uh, one of, I think it was Hooper, yeah. the dummy to go over the ball and then pulled out last second and one of the Kiwi players just launched completely over the ruck Flying in and just went straight over the other side. That guy had no intention of staying on his feet. It's a thing that's, yeah, I I find it, it's it's annoyed me for quite some time now. I've I've, I've written about it uh, for the magazine. I might have, I might have even written about it for uh, Scottish Rugby Blog back in the day. I'm not not sure about it, but it but it's one of those things where that's what they're talking about. They're not saying that as soon as someone gets over the ball, hey lads, everyone get away from it. Mm. No one's allowed to touch them now. They're sacrosanct. But it's that recklessness that, and again, it's you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be flashpoints here and there. But It'll be interesting to see. I genuinely would say keep your eyes open for for stuff coming out of that because there'll be some interesting points of view
1: coming out about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ian, do you, do you think the answer is going to be to limit the number of players in a Rook?
1: Well, they seem to change the laws on rocks and breakdowns every year, so <laughs> who knows? Um, I'm not really. I mean, that that would surely maybe pacify the, the breakdown in the rock too much.
0: Um, yeah, but- and I suppose, I suppose the other thing is that defence coaches are always going to find ways around it and play it. clever players like Michael Hooper, you know, standing up and feigning to go for the ball That's and then not. backing off, they're going to find ways around it.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, what I would say is the, the laws aren't changing, actually. It's the directives from officials that that get tweaked every so often. But with these things, they come and go very quickly interpretations change from hemisphere to hemisphere. And World Cup year, actually, that'll be one of the major talking points, I imagine, in Japan, will be the difference of officiating of that between Northern Hemisphere referees and Southern Hemisphere referees um, when we get down to the nitty-gritty of the, the World Cup. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, we're going to be talking about this every season now for as long as rugby exists. <laughs> How much tinkering is too much tinkering? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and i i have my views on it but i don't think we really want to pile into that no, right we, now it's probably
0: we could we could devote a whole episode to um how much you should tinker with the laws um speaking of sort of tangentially of laws there was news this week that um a player from the scottish third national 3 uh has had a two year ban after testing positive for mdma which i think is ecstasy i'm not i'm i'm you know i'm i'm the wrong side of 35 so i don't understand what these things are i googled it not on my work computer, I should add. I was very careful about that. Um, now, the UK Anti-Doping Agency actually went for a four-year ban because they claimed that he took. A, hang on, Alan's getting his. Um, Alan's getting his tea. I've
2: got my lasagna. Right, I'm ready to go. Good.
0: Um, yeah, UK uh, Anti-Doping Agency actually went for a four-year ban on this because they claimed he took the drug after 2 a.m. on the day before, on the day of the game. Therefore, it was during an in-game window. Um, that got rejected in the judgment um, because they said there was no evidence the player took the drug to cheat. Um, it's interesting, Ian. Um, while Alan's having his lasagna, you can uh, chip in with this. The, um, it, I mean, it, it's a recreational drug. I mean, is it? Is there a danger that we're making sort of a moral judgment here? Because is it any worse than playing whilst a little bit drunk?
1: Well, I think as well. What we have to remember is this. This is a young man who's not playing at a. You know, it's a professional level. Um, young young people make silly mistakes. Uh, I'm sure we've all got uh, got a few things to say about that. Um, but I, you know, we see seeing Tyrell Wilson. That's the boy's name. Um, what's what's his claim again? Uh, yeah, he, he said he was having problems at home and stuff like that. Uh, you know, uh, what we'll, we'll talk about Alan's uh, alcohol article later on. I'd, I, I just feel it's a little harsh because it's not... I wouldn't imagine it would be a performance-enhancing uh, drug. I've, I've never used it myself. You know, it's, I think it's like a purer form of ecstasy. Uh, Depends what you're
2: trying to perform at, I imagine.
0: Yeah. If, uh, yeah, if you, if you throw throwing throw shapes uh, in the 22, I think, yeah, maybe maybe might help <laughs> with that. But um, I, I mean, I suppose a lot of people online have drawn parallels with, with John Hardy's... I mean, I, I'm going to the proper thing is alleged cocaine use, i very carefully to say that, um, th- th- that he got a three-month ban, but then he wasn't caught in an official way through testing. Um, so, he, I mean, do you, do you think there is a sense that this is, it's unfair that, that an amateur's sort of been banned for two years compared to sort of, say, I mean, there's Zach Hardaker in um, Rugby League who who got a year, but I think put up a, maybe a bit more of a stronger defence when you read the actual judgments.
1: That for cocaine use, Hardy? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, With the Hardy situation, um, I, th- I don't think we've talked about this a f- good few times. I mean, yeah, I think uh, it was you that told me Hardy sort of dobbed himself in. Um, maybe There may have been a witness who was uh, perhaps going to grass him up, but he dobbed himself in. And like you said, he didn't fail a test. Um, but, you know, Hardy had been out for such a long time um, with myriad of injury problems. You've got to have a little bit of sympathy, I think, for someone in that situation. Uh, you know, they're probably thinking, "Well, I'm not going to be back playing any time soon. I might as well just go a bit wild." Um, you know, as professional sports people or sports people, uh, in the case of Tyrell Wilson, uh, Tyre Wilson you sh- I suppose you should know better. But if there's an underlying reason for it, that should be explored first, I think, and taken into consideration. I mean, there's a
2: there's a multi layered element to this. Um, there's there are lots of different moving parts to it. From the from the the main point of if you're looking at it from an anti-doping standpoint in the entirety of UK and Irish sport, is it the best use of UK anti-doping mechanisms to catch this player? Is that sorting out? Is that are they going to stand behind that and say, look at what we're doing in sport? Isn't this fantastic? I don't think it really shows too much. Uh, I think it shows you that if they're willing to, we always hear about how little money they have and how far behind the cheats they are, and how they're always up against it, but they're fighting the good fight. I don't know if fighting the good fight against this young lad is really the best use of their time and and money. Uh, the other element to it is that should there be, and I've spoken to, I've heard a few people speak about this before, and in fact should that be a bannable offense in sport to take something that is not by certain measurements performance enhancing at all cook. I've heard a lot of people talk about this with cocaine, for example, is it truly performance enhancing? Is smoking marijuana performance enhancing? Now there's lots of different layers. To that element. So you can talk about that. The other elements you can talk about is as Ian mentioned there, what's going on with this young lad. Uh, now, I don't imagine he'll be uh, thrown on the trash heap. You'd hope that people from the club are are there to support him uh, through this. Uh, His mates, fine, great. If he needs any form of what you call rehabilitation, fantastic. Hopefully there's that opportunity for him somewhere and people helping him out with that. You have to come back to it, though. Does this compare to professional sport? It's almost like apples and oranges, really, if you think about it.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think that's that's the the, the part of it that that's sort of stuck in the craw a little bit is, uh, you know, I think a ban's warranted. It's just two years out of a sport, and if you read the statement, a sport that he clearly loves, and obviously it offers some form of, to a certain extent, offers some form of rehabilitation in a way, you know, to be support, you know, a support mechanism for him in a way. Is it right to remove that from him at a time when he possibly needs it most?
2: Um, what i would say here as well is that i'm not i'm very big on making sure that there are help there's help for people if they want to reach out and get it i'm not suggesting that we live in a nanny state where we've got to help we people need to go the, the, the union for example needs to try to figure out how to how to word this there should be help available for this guy if he wants it, but obviously there should be an element of culpability. Unfortunately, the rules are the way they are. Yeah, Should they be the way they are? I, no, I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing, reading your long read about alcohol, and I know it touched a little bit on drugs, Alan, was the, the extent to which the, in professional sport, um, alcohol abuse particularly, but, but maybe drug use as well, is, is hidden and that players are sort of... Um, do you know at the end of the season someone is sort of reporters as having some sort of innocuous injury and is sort of like carted off to another released from a contract and all of a sudden appears at another club. I mean, is that do you get the sense from what you were looking into that that's a big problem?
2: Um, Well, I I I believe I said in the article that it's not widespread. You're not going to I wouldn't suggest that you're going to find five guys at every single professional club. But a lot of it ties into mental health issues. There, if you told me that there are five guys at every single professional club on the planet that has real issues with anxiety, verging, verging on mental health, or having mental health, strong mental health issues, I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be a surprise in any way. And that's part of it, is you have to acknowledge that rugby gets caught up in this whole thing of you can't have any weakness. To the extent where we view someone with, perhaps, if it goes as far as to have an addiction issue with alcohol or drugs, that every single time that is a complete weakness. Mm. It comes back to, actually, should there be help available for these people? Uh, I I absolutely believe there should be, if they want to reach out for it in an anonymous way. Um, Again, some people will say there needs to be an element of culpability with that. But there are vulnerable people out there. I mean, how many? Think of how many people are in a professional rugby team. You know, full, full senior squad, academy, staff, the whole shebang. Like, not everyone in there is a superhero.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. That, I think that there, there, there seems to be. I mean, there, there's certain players who've started to speak out a little bit in it, and without sort of going so far as say, "I have a mental health issue" or "I've, I've suffered from depression." I think Alex Dunbar has talked very openly about how the long layoff from injury impacted on him. Um, and I think a couple of other players have come and and, and been a lot more open, and so I think that's starting to come into it, but whether or not, like you said, there's this sense in rugby that that you man up, whatever that means, is still prevalent.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry, on you go. No, go on, Ian. All right, no, uh, Fraser Brown, um, last year, he was very open about his his sort of depression issues um, when he was injured for practically two years he was out for. Um and he was uh you know, he was saying we should have that I means Scotland don't even have a professional players' association. Um mm. they don't have a sort of a, a support team, um, or people looking out for their welfare as a, a sort sort of collective. Um so uh, yeah, and even in Alan's article I think Jason Robinson was, it was that said he would like to see somebody who's maybe not like a psychologist such, but somebody who's looking specifically out for player welfare, um, on a sort of mental health side at every elite club and I think that would be a very wise step forward because there's a lot of pressure on these guys. Um, Very very young men as well. Yeah, I mean, if you you wear the purely Scottish hat, um, firstly, it's great to have players
2: speaking about it. Uh, Secondly, I'd suggest that it is almost completely incomprehensible that a union, a top-tier rugby union that has two professional teams in one of the top leagues on the planet does not have a players' union. Mm. and The idea that I've spoken to some people, that there's an element of fear from some current players to discuss opening that up because they're scared of what the union will think. Yeah. There's always yeah. a sense with the SRU, and a lot of people talk about it now, and it's, I suppose it's actually very timely to talk about it now, when we're talking about non-disclosure agreements, left, right and centre as well, the idea of not having complete control over a situation, I don't know why that's so terrifying to some. Yeah. Because there needs to be an element of the players looking out for themselves. And actually, that comes back to the idea of not shying away from culpability. If you've got an issue, you, you, know, you actually owe it to your, yourself to put your best, and your club to put the best performance out there. If you're not capable of doing that, you need to find a way of getting help. You have to look for yourself for for that help because it's not going to seek you out if you keep it to yourself. And Jason Robinson said there should be someone, you'd like to see someone that works that's independent of a club that works with clubs. Some some players' unions would suggest that they'd have something close to that. We're not at the stage where there's someone embedded with everyone and you can everyone can turn to that because there's just not the money going around. But it should absolutely, and in my article uh, for that, uh, uh, the anonymous uh, person that was very good enough to speak to me about it, it just it beggar, beggars belief that there's not a, a, a players union. For yeah,
0: players. it's quite interesting that, that I think the one person that's spoken out about it that, that, that's actually playing at the minute, sort of for Scotland, is Greg Leadlaw, who wrote an article I think for. I'm going to get the name wrong now. It's the play, it's sort of the, the worldwide players group based in Ireland, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Yes. That's the one, yep. He wrote an article for there just saying that it's ridiculous, pretty much along the lines, I mean, he caveat it a lot, but pretty much reading through it was it's ridiculous Scotland don't have some form of players' representative body. Um, but it's got I mean, we, we were speaking to David Barnes a couple of episodes ago, and 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 that's what I think is coming next from the SRU revelations is we're going to get this report on the non-disclosure agreements. We, th- I think David was indicating he thinks it's going to be for non-playing staff, but then the next question is going to be, well, what about playing staff? You know, who 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 who's sort of like left the Scotland setup has signed a non-disclosure agreement and can't talk about the way they've been treated, and the one I think of is um rory lamont who who was very um candid about the way he'd been treated whilst concussed, and then all of a sudden you know had to sort of issue an apology a very sort of hasty apology and hasn't spoken out about it since and i 'm you know i've got no information he signed in on a non disclosure agreement, but it was interesting that he was pretty outspoken about concussion and his treatment and then very suddenly issued a statement saying oh that wasn't anything to do with Scotland yeah well
2: now with that, what I would say is your teammates are a great resource. And actually, what I've said about some of this, you know, people can get bogged down with, oh, that's a terrible picture that's being painted there. You have to also say that there are some fantastic people involved with rugby. And actually, I've never heard of anyone who has come out and spoken about an issue like that, this being condemned. It just doesn't happen, mm. right? So... If someone is willing to become a figurehead and educate people, brilliant. But if someone wants to keep things on the down low but doesn't want to go quite so far, there are a number of great teammates that will look out for people. And, you know, it's always surprising when you hear people say, we weren't aware of that. You know, reaching out for help isn't a bad thing. And if anyone gets, you know, um, there are links in the article that I've done. But, if anyone even listens to this, and it's, we're talking about elite rugby players, but actually it's at any level of rugby, you know, there's help out there if you want to get it. Mm. Reach out to your GP, for example. You know, there are charities that you can find online. You know, Mind is one of those where you can talk to. The Samaritans, you know, there is help out there if you want to, if, you know, if you're an amateur player or you're just a fan, listen, yeah. listen.
0: We will we, we'll not get bogged down in this because we're going down a dark route. I want to, I want to, I want to talk about something much more positive. Um, we'll move, we'll move on to the new feature, absolute bobbins.
2: This is a great lasagna, by the way.
0: Good. Is it <laughs> ve- meat or vegetable?
2: Meat. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm,
0: a, I'm a vegetarian. Um, yeah, I
1: weigh 22 kilos. There's no way I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> um, um, I don't, man, have you seen Morrissey? <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: sure. um, Absolute bobbins. It's our new feature. Uh, the idea is that we, all listeners, put forward some seemingly ridiculous statement and uh, the, we sit in judgment as to whether or not it's absolute bobbins now. Um, I'm doing this week because I was going to do an article for the blog on this, but I haven't had the time, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it here. Um, it's off the back of the, re- the revelation from Stuart McInally that he didn't have a throwing coach until Richard Cockrell turned up after being converted to hooker. Now, this got me thinking, do we need to reevaluate our previous views on Ross Ford in light of that? So, having thought about it, this is my this is my statement now. Rossford has has been let down by successive Edinburgh and Scotland regimes. He's been a great servant to both club and country and should be regarded as one of Scotland's all-time great players. It's a sad reflection of the dark period in Scottish rugby that Ross Ford was unable to reach his full potential after being selected for the Lions Tour in 2009. The Rossford 2019 World Cup campaign starts here. Uh, Ian, you had strong feelings about this when I sent you this uh, on Messenger. Um, is that yeah, absolute so bobbins?
1: <laughs> well yeah I'm just uh, going to say to the uh, listeners you know this, this audible magic you're hearing doesn't just happen straight off the bat you send us a sort of agenda um, and when you put that in quotation marks I said uh, who the flipperty jibbit said that <laughs> um, Just because I've, I've never heard anyone being so high in praise of Rossford um, I mean throwing wasn't one of his problems uh, you know his arrows were usually pretty decent Um I, I am calling absolute bobbins that he's he should be regarded as an all time great. Uh I mean like I, like I said when I replied to you, I mean maybe if he hadn't been part of a Scotland team for so long that it's been so poor, um, maybe I would reevaluate my opinion of him and, and say, Oh actually, you know, he did he was part of a, a glorious year of Scottish rugby. But he was he's been there a long time uh, and a lot of that is when we were pretty crap. Uh, not obviously, that's not all his fault, but uh, I think all-time great has gone a bit too far.
0: Is Alan? You, there's an article in this week's Rugby World. I'm not going to spoil too much because people should read it. Um, it. And 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 he he people have a very high opinion of Ross Ford. People who know Ross Ford have a very high opinion. And, and and is is there an element? I guess what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is: Has Ross Ford been tarnished by association with previous? You know, a, a, a pretty poor. Period in Scottish rugby history.
2: Well, you know, I'd would say, and I think a lot of people would say this, even those that know him. You can't be completely revisionist about these things because there were periods through his career where he has had rough form, mm. uh, really rough form. You caveat that with the fact that you have to respect. I mean, the guy's got one hundred and eleven test caps, so you know you have to you have to respect longevity. You can, uh, I mean, okay, the, the, now this is in no way saying that they're the same. But I don't buy the, the terrible regimes thing. And this is uh, because Sergio Parise has the worst test records ever. <laughs> <laughs> People love Sergio Parise. Yeah. So if you take that aside, you go, you know what? He has had an incredible career. Fantastic longevity as well. He's had real problems with injuries, right? Um, particularly of late, but fantastic longevity for a front. You know, he's playing in a a combative position, uh, and he has reached pinnacles. But you can't ignore the fact that there have been troughs there as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. So,
2: but, but, but I think the other thing as well is, and it's it's noticeable. Is maybe it's maybe one of the things that's maybe one of the things that's holding back his reputation a little bit is that. He is not a demonstrative man.
0: Mm. He is
2: not an outspoken man. He's a quiet, calm professional. And, you know, that might come through. And I, In fact, when you hear people praise him, there aren't, and we know because we, we wrote this piece, there aren't a lot of anecdotes out, out there about him, about high that he gets up to. He's just not that. He is the diligent professional. So I'd suggest that if you're going to praise him for anything, he is the archetypal professional.
0: Yeah, when we when I sort of told Rory we were thinking of doing this, he he knows someone who knew Ross Ford at high school, who got who sort of has, has put forward his message. And Ross Ford was pushing weights at fifteen, sixteen, while everyone was outside playing. Ross Ford was throwing, you know, throwing balls through basketball hoops when they they told him to convert to hooker over a summer. Ross Ford was you know running, you know, trying to meet the fitness standards to make the Borders team. And I think that's what you, that, that's the thing. He's he's not. It's almost like a bit like the you know the the boring James Milner parody account that was popular about five years ago. That it's, it's the boring Ross Ford, and that's fine. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that, that he is who he is, and like you said, he's not someone that's in your face, or you know, is, is going to be sort of the the one that's hiding in wheelie bins ready to jump out on teammates.
2: Yeah, um, um, I mean, uh, what do you have to compare him with as well? Let's let's you there's there's a reason why he has so many caps because he was head and shoulders above everyone else that was out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The interesting thing um, that Rory's friend said though was that Ross Ford started out as an eight at Hoyk as as a you know as a as a high school player and, and converted. I think was then sort of six when he started with the Borders. Then converted to, to hooker, and it got me thinking. I mean, Ross, his ball carrying's always been pretty good. You know, is there is there a sort of Ross Ford sliding doors movie where Ross Ford became a good number eight at a time when Scotland needed one?
1: Is I don't it? know if his passing skills well, you know, I suppose that could have been taught into him. Uh I don't know that's that's a strange scenario to consider. Um, the story,
0: the story was that he was he was considered too short for number eight at the time.
1: Yeah, I was about to say the height element might come into it, but look at somebody like uh, Sam Simmons down at Exeter. Uh he's I think he's only about six foot. Um and he's he's managed to get himself into England team. He's a very good number eight. Um I can tell you one thing about Ross Ford. Where I remember doing fitness testing
2: at Murrayfield once and he was point zero 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 five seconds faster than me over 40 metres. So that's the reason why he's a good career.
0: <laughs> well, well, on a last note, my dad met him and said he was nice. So, um, yeah, there's always that. But, yeah, OK, so I think I'm outvoted. If- that's, that's absolute bobbins then. Um, we're going to quickly just touch on this. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a virtual Finsanity, um, our sort of look at overseas players, I need to shorten these jingles a bit, that went on too long, um, Finn Russell, currently top scorer in the top 14 on 39 points, uh, Greg Laidlaw's tied fourth on 32, um, sticking it to all the Greg Laidlaw haters, um, there's an article on the blog that Rory's done, Duncan Taylor is out for a long period now with a knee injury, um, looks like it's going to be about six months, um, the, um, the, the, we've got a bit of exclusive news now. Now we never get exclusives and this, this is um, down to my investigative journalism skills of, of f- stalking players on Instagram. Now Hugh Blake is back in New Zealand playing for Bay of Plenty as he has been the last few seasons sort of on a sort of strange loan agreement in the break in the seven season. Now we contacted the SRU and said is that the situation this year? And it's not apparently, um, the, the message came back that Hugh Blake is not contracted to sevens next season. So there you go. That's not so much an exclusive as sort of something that we uh, asked a question and got an answer on. But um, <laughs> maybe she claims it. Hugh
2: Blake is now Bay of Plenty's only. Is
1: what you're saying?
0: Yeah, that's it. He plays for Bay of Plenty. He's not contracted to the Scotland Seven setup anymore.
1: Hold the phone. Yep. Was he, was he not drafted in by Verne This is the thing. Days? It,
0: it, it ends a really. It's a really been a really strange chapter in Scottish rugby history if you think about it. Because Vern, he he was brought in as Vern Cotter's man. It was Vern Cotter sort of brought him across from New Zealand. He was sort of parachuted into the Emperor team against who was in. Was it? Um, I don't even know who the coach was at the time. Um, sort of against there, where she's played a bit for Melrose. Didn't get a particularly great right up then. Sort of was straight into the Scotland squad, I think, for the Six Nations. Ended up sort of across at Glasgow, where he sort of played centre for a bit, and then he was in the he was in the wider training squad for the world last World Cup. Played pretty well against Italy, didn't make the squad, and then sort of disappeared into the Glasgow squad again, and then emerged in the sevens. Where I mean, you know, he had a decent run at sevens, but it's 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 an odd sort of it's an odd one. I think chalk it off to that. It's 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 not. It's it's, a, it's another sort of strange sort of project player that's brought across without anybody, aside from the national coach, seeming seeming to actually want him.
1: Yeah, it's a very whole strange scenario. I think uh, uh, it's another thing. Adam Ash, he got he played for Scotland against South Africa and an absolute mauling we got before he'd even played a professional game for Glasgow, and that was around about the same time. That was like just when Verne Cotter had come in. Um, Ash, though. Has you know he was on a uh, one of the development contracts at the time, and turned, he's actually turned into a pretty good player. I think it's just a shame he's injured quite often. Um, but yeah, the whole Shug Blake thing is a bit—it's a bit of a modern.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so that's a, that's the one and only exclusive we will ever have. Um, so, so who knows?
2: Uh, yeah, I would just like to if you. If we're talking about players outside of Scotland that are doing well. I think it's just worth giving it. Well, firstly. It's Laidlaw uh, with Claremont. I mean, they are having a hell of a season. Mm. He's going to have mm. the time of his life. Um, he's, you know that trademark grin of his. We're gonna, probably going to be seeing a lot of that this season because Claremont just look unstoppable. They're flying. I mean, obviously, we're over three games into the top 14 season, but they are just smashing teams at the moment. Uh, but the other one is, and I think you guys will be interested in, is just... How well David Denton's going down in Leicester? Because uh, okay, it's been a difficult week for Leicester. Mm. They mm. sacked their head coach after an absolute smashing against Exeter. Jordan Murphy's in uh, uh, interim, but the the belief is that he'll be given a long time this season to to prove his worth. But speaking to a lot of people uh, down down here in England, uh, Denton was one of the few, if not the only, player in that extra game to get pass marks. Uh, people liked the way he went about his business. And they were saying that he was, pr- he was pretty, pretty good against uh, in that Leicester's win at the weekend. Um, so they were saying that he's looking like a really good line-out option for them. But the other thing is that, and of course, in all the places in the world you're going to get respect for this, they love the way that he carries. Because, you know... He's not looking for a space off, and he's looking for a man. Uh, but <laughs> he actually, they appreciate. I'm speaking to some people. Uh, they appreciate the way that he's that he fights in contact for that extra yard. Yeah, you know, it's that that grip, that determination that's always endeared him to people. And it looks like things are going, you know, touch with all right for him so far. He
0: that's looks it. he looks in good nick as well. He look, his conditioning looks looks pretty spot on. I Thinking that the past it hasn't always been. Great, but he looks—he looked pretty lean from what I could see, and, and I think you're right. The other thing is he—he he does. That's one thing you always get with Denton. Although he'll take it into contact, he—he he makes yards. Whereas compared to me, if compare him to sort of maybe Josh Strauss, who's a lot more upright in contact, and you know we'll, we'll have a lot of players around him fighting for the ball, but actually whether he—he he doesn't never seem to go that much further forward. Whereas Denton will—he'll get you a—you a, know—good five yards with every carry.
2: It'll be interesting to see how he goes. And it's a, it's, a, it's something worth keeping your eye on because it's certainly something that you could argue Scotland still lack mm. as a national. You know, they just don't have that yard-churning carrier. You know, a lot of effort and it's always synergy with Scotland, particularly under Gregor Townsend. Continuity and synergy. Um, and it's a sharing of the loads in terms of carrying. But... You know, if Denton can realise a form that actually we've probably not seen from him for years.
0: The last World Cup, maybe. That, I mean, that Australia game, which is what got him the deal, you know, to move away from Edinburgh. Probably the last time that he had any real form.
1: It was really good throughout that whole tournament, I thought.
0: Yeah. Um, um, the, the the other one I wanted to mention was um, just again it's in Rugby World is Guy Graham um, who is at, now at Newcastle. And what, the, the only reason I'm mentioning it is just the, the uh, Graham family commitment to alliteration um, because George Graham has named his sons George. I'll get this right. Uh, they they got George Junior, Gary, Guy and Greg. Ain't
1: hey, nothing about G Tang.
0: Yeah. So you don't yes. you don't see that commitment with the Barrett family. That's all I'm saying. Oh. The
1: Kardashians of World Rugby. Yes. Um, Actually, I I think uh, one other thing we should maybe mention: um, Southern Hemisphere, uh, Murray Douglas. Yes. Um, Yes. He's uh, well. He was a bit of a super sub for the Hurricanes last year. He's going to the Brumbies. Um, He seems to have. I mean, I checked him out on Wikipedia, and he's like, there's very few professional performances until just the last year, really. So, but he seems to be um, flourishing late. He's he's he's, nearly twenty nine
2: he was he, went, he headed over to i know this cuz he played uh, he played for Harriet's for a while um he headed over to to aussie he found himself in the the provincial championship over there uh, got a go with the the rebels uh, and from the back of that uh, had a good go in in new zealand now back to Australia. and it just shows you this testament to that thing i mean there are only so many opportunities in scotland mm. and We've always spoken of for a long while uh, in other nations and it's a big thing that people talk about in England, particularly as there are so many structures that it's anomalous to see players come out with structures, professional structures and make it, which makes it all the more impressive when people do. So you've got to take your hat off to Murray Douglas. What he's done is brilliant.
0: Yeah. Um, we're going to quickly move on. We'll do a quick Where's Doogie Donnelly? I'm not going to bother with the jingle this this, um, this week because so I've not got time for it to be honest. Um Craig Taylor said he saw the entire Monster Squad on Argyle Street at the weekend. He said Tagburn and Billy Holland had to duck under the, I says the Highlandman's umbrella, which I think is some weird Glasgow euphemism. am not sure that's an actual uh, thing.
1: It's the Central Station Bridge, and it's called the Highlandman's Umbrella because when all the uh, the guys from the Highlands came down looking for work, if it was chucking it down, they tied under there.
0: Ah, okay. do not have umbrellas. Is it is it particularly low?
1: Uh, no I think he's being a bit facetious
0: Okay, that's fine Um, our favourite Embra bus driver Ian Wallace also said he saw uh, James Miller the Scotland 20s player on the number 3 bus and Fee on Twitter said she saw Kevin Bryce getting off a train in Alloa. so uh, good stalking everyone keep those coming in Um, we'll do hands in the ruck now Um,
2: can I add my where's Dougie Donnelly
0: I was going to yeah I was going to say I actually had that down on the note because you normally have some pretty decent ones
2: on What day was it? God, what day was it? It was Sunday, coming back from Connaught, I flew back via Dublin Airport. I got a stupidly early flight. Guess who I bumped into at 7.20am at Dublin Airport? None other than Scotland age-grade cap, Stuart Lancaster. (laughs) He was on his way back to Leeds. For a night, I think, and then he was heading back to back to Dublin to prepare for this weekend Well, he uh, can, he
0: he still lives in in uh, the north of England, I think. Doesn't he even commute?
2: He splits his time absolutely. Yeah. He wasn't too, but um, off uh, for Leinstar. Uh Frustrated was the word he used uh, in our one and a half minute conversation. Uh, so, here you go. I bumped into Stuart Lancaster at the airport. That's good.
0: Uh, somebody did say they, they got a play. someone I can't remember who it was, said that their friend got on a plane with uh, Doogie Vipond to some Scottish island and Doogie Vipond was upset that they wouldn't open a tab for him at a hotel. Um, so, if we, they say,
1: Don't you know who I'm at?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hands in the ruck then Um, we've had a couple uh, of this uh, Andy Render said his hands in the ruck was the sheer amount of rugby he was able to watch said he went to two games watched two rugby championship games three pro 14 games and coached an under 14 game on Sunday Uh, so that's pretty good going Um, now my hold on hold on I
2: thought hands in the ruck
0: was supposed to be a moan every time no 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 it can be a a pleasant thing to have if you're the person with your hands in the ruck then that can be quite a pleasant experience Oh, okay. Get on, yeah. It's just in any other business sort of section. It just it, what it does is it allows us to talk about things out with of Scotland. It's just an excuse not to be entirely right. Scottish, Scotland focused. Um, although mine is Scottish focused, which is the um, it's a tweet that's now been deleted. But this sort of weird rugby agency that were advertising for EU UK players to come and turn out for super, uh, super, a super unknown super six team. Now that tweet's been deleted after there was a bit of a Twitter storm, but. Um, it just strikes me, and I don't think there's any sort of guidance or note from the Sru yet about what the team, how the team should be made up. But it, it would strike me as going against the intention of Super Six if they were to be filled up with, you know, um, Saffas, you know, Aussies and 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 Kiwis who are just coming over for a bit of a jolly, um, or even sort of, you know, players from England that, you know, are just sort of coming up to get a, a semi-pro contract. Um that doesn't necessarily seem to be in the spirit of what the Super Six is about.
1: No, yeah, I but thought whole, go on. I thought the whole point was meant to sort of bridge the uh, the gap between sort of you know, the semi professional and the, the pro game, you know, where obviously Glasgow and Edinburgh are looking to bring through Scottish qualified talent. So it seems like a bit of a hypocrisy, maybe, um for lack of a better word.
2: <laughs> I'd only ever seen it written down though, and then I heard I've heard you use the word there. Semi-Pro, which makes me think of the movie Semi-Pro. What <laughs> with the trophy at the end of it is the Mega Bowl.
0: <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the SIU to have some. given it's called the Super Six, that we're going to have some ridiculous name for the trophy.
2: Maybe Super should... Six Bowl, oh, that's what it is now in my head.
0: Yeah, well, I think we were, arguing, we were arguing at one point, I think, to rename Murrayfield the BT Thunderdome.
2: Oh, yes. To, well... Two teams enter, one
0: team leaves. I dunno. <laughs> <laughs> um Ian, what's what's had its hands in your ruck this week?
1: Right, well, hands in the ruck this week is a particular style of foul play. Um I think we've probably all seen Matteo Bastro and his four smash, but it's not that. Um it's when, um seen it a few times uh, over the years, when uh, players are in the process of scoring a try, there seems to be a fair few well not a fair few, but you're getting some cheap shots and late shots uh, the Scarlet's Leinster game on Saturday uh, when James Lowe's going over to score in the corner Gareth Davis comes sliding in and it's almost like a football challenge they kind of lead with the feet or the knees and he's he's not made a great deal of contact with Lowe but you know he's he's led in with his knees and it's, it's really you know it's not like rugby's not physical enough as it is you don't need to go in dangerously um, with sharp joints and bony bits trying to hurt somebody um you know, I think uh, when I was thinking back on sort of incidents like this, I think there three that Tommy Seymour suffered and the worst of which was, I think it was maybe two, uh, three, four years ago maybe against Treviso. I think it was Luke McLean. Seymour's already over the try line, um, just, just about to ground the ball, diving down and McLean comes over and basically elbow drops him in the back of the neck. Um, so that's that's been getting my, my ire up a bit. I had nothing until that point, to be honest. I was a bit worried it it's been such a... A nice friendly week, um, but no, that that got on my back a bit. Um, yeah, it's players sliding in unnecessarily dangerously uh, when the opposition are in the act of scoring a try. Yeah, I Gareth see. Davis has his hands in my ruck.
0: Right, good good call, uh, Alan. Your hands in your ruck.
2: Uh, it's the chat that's bubbled up uh, over the last well, 24, 48 hours of it looking into maybe expanding the World Cup. Have more teams involved? Mm. Never is that a good idea. Um, well, at least not in the current climate, yeah. because yeah. we don't want people racking up Ivory Coast scores. You know, you don't want people just talk because there are enough teams in it already. Where bless them, they're going to truck a hell of a lot of points, and that's it's like that every four years. So I don't think you need to open it up so that because yes, it's a fantastic moment when Portugal got to play in New Zealand, but then they realised Portugal were playing New Zealand. Yeah. And points were just, it was, you know, verging on embarrassing. And you don't want that happening every four years because, okay, if you want to, if you want to take it the other way, as I've now discovered, hands in the rut can be a good thing. What a fantastic thing that would be for the bookies. It would really open up the betting market for top point scorers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. okay. I- I, I'm not necessarily sure that sort of a, a Germany uh, game is necessarily going to be a, a, an easy sell either at this point. I think that, that you're right. I think in future there could be... I mean, it is getting tighter. If you look at the world ranking points, things are getting tighter, I think, within the sort of top seven or eight, that the points certainly between three and eight are are, are probably as close as they've ever been. But outside of that, maybe with the exception of Fiji but even they sort of you know fits and starts it, outside of that it I'm not you know there's nobody that's that's going to cause any major upsets anytime soon I mean it still feels that way that there's always a prospect of someone causing an upset with Scotland but I think that's just because we're conditioned to think that way
1: and I think there's proof in the pudding as well
0: yeah probably um, no, I think that's a fair shout. Um, the, the last uh, Hands in the Ruck, and this is because it lets me uh, do a bit of marketing, is um, Matt Stokes on Twitter, who said his Hands in the Ruck is the Macron kit sizes. He says the three extra large training jersey, uh, Matt's a larger larger gentleman, uh, is the same sa- chest size as the six extra large match shirt, but they both have wildly different lengths. Now, I'm I'm tall, and I, I, I feel Matt's pain um, from, from going and trying and buying, um, you know, Shirts that fit me that aren't either ridiculously long or uh, like a sale on me. Um, so I feel Matt's pain. Um, Matt also complained about that there's no Embra female tops apparently due to a lack of demand. Um, so that's no good bush. A shame. Yeah, it, it's worth, worth looking out. Um, first 15.
2: I'm, I'm probably persona non grata with a lot of <laughs> Embra fans because our, our website did a, a piece... We are we are this, we're in the same company as uh, Marie Claire. Yeah, we, we uh,
0: covered we covered this last week, and I called them Marie Curie. So apologies for that. Oh
2: yeah, well, the, yeah, I was going to make a very inappropriate joke about. It. Uh, no, I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah. So you know, if there's anyone out there that has got some beef with us about this, I can only apologise. I, I actually said replied when I got the the answers back. From Mari Claire and said, Thank you very much for this. I must say that I'm really shocked that the Scarlet's Away shirt didn't make, make the list for the most disgusting. And the response I got, which was brilliant, was uh, Fashion is a fickle beast, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, next season it could be in vogue.
0: We, well, yeah, the, um, we, were, um, we were wondering about this because the, both the Embra and Glasgow shirts seem to be reviewed from the point of view of only 80s references which was Nick Faldo's Clothing for the Glasgow and um, 1980s Computer Games for the Ember one. Yeah, I
2: mean, I that was more about the writer or Macron?
0: I don't know. Does it age Macron? or Does it, does it age the Macron designer? or Does it age the uh, Marie, Marie Claire journalist? Who knows? Um, I like the Ember shirt. I've said it. I like it. I think it's, it, it goes well with jeans, and that's my test. Does a shirt go well with jeans? Then it's a nice shirt.
1: The, uh, is that the, the blue and burnt orange one? Yes,
0: yeah, the, the one the one, one that looks, yeah. I said it looked like there's a game in the 80s called Lights Out where you could draw with lights with a little pen. Yeah. I think it looks like See, that.
1: I, I like that one and I like the Glasgow away. The Glasgow home top would be good if it wasn't for the sponsor, which seems to yeah. be misaligned right in the middle. I think that would look really cool if they'd moved the sponsor, but they haven't, so...
0: They haven't. Yeah, I suppose
1: they, paid, they pay their money. So,
0: If, if anybody wants to buy uh, any of the kits, then um, uh, First 15, uh, which is... Uh, I'm going to get the website right. Did I write it down? No. Oh, yeah, rugbystuff.com. If you go to their website, um, they've written an article for us on the blog uh, looking at the latest kits. And if you go to the website and enter the code SRB10, you can get 10% off your purchase. Uh, the code's on the blog article too. Uh, in other news, we're launching our merchandise tomorrow. We've got merch. Now you from tomorrow you can go to our Red store and you can buy yourself a pinball mishard uh top or phone case or mug. You can get a laidlord mug, which uh, says laidlord and then has the definition for being drunk written on it. Um we also have uh, some zandbags merchandise as well, uh, uh, which is no. which is one Do of you know my what
1: was incredible on Friday night, no zandbags.
0: I know. I was disappointed with the lack of sandbags was, on Friday night. Yeah. Was he? Yeah.
1: No, he just—I don't know. He just seemed to be winning scrums and not getting involved. I know, he was. Yeah, uh, he had a great game actually. I thought. I think he's. The scrummaging seems to have improved. I don't know if that's maybe Keble helping him better on the other side, or if it's just he's got to be a bit more noose now. But uh, no, he's, he seems to have be winning a fair few scrums.
0: He's a married man now as well. So. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Maybe that it? might. Maybe that might be helping with the scrummaging.
1: <laughs> never never played for a or been married so <laughs> anyway buy the kit everyone
2: yeah. buy,
0: the kit. buy the merch buy our merch come ah, and give us give us, yeah. give us give us money just in case my laptop packs in and I need to buy a new one <laughs> um, so anyway um, you can also buy Scottish Rugby Blog podcast branded goods if you want including stickers and we give one away free um, every podcast now to our favourite commenter and I'm going to give it to Matt Stokes just because I feel he's paying about the um, shirt so Matt if you want your free sticker uh, get in touch uh, podcast at sscotchrugby UK or I think you're on Twitter so you can drop me a DM then and I'll send it off to you. Um, but that's it for this week. Um, we might be back from minipod next week uh, when we're talking to someone in a bit more detail about the um, issue of recreational drugs um, from the sports integrity initiative. Uh, who got in touch and, and offered to have a bit of a chat with them? So, we might be speaking to them next week in a mini podcast and then we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the full pod. But from now, it's bye from me and bye from Alan and Ian. Cheerio. All right. Thanks, chaps.
1: Thank you very much. Cheers, Cammy.
2: Cheers. to sure. you
0: Alan. later. Yeah, speak to you later.